I'm your host Cameron Wanless. You can find me on Twitter at Cameron Wanless or on YouTube as C Wanless. Now let's get into the Boost Chelsea podcast. Guys, apologies for the audio quality in this bit here. I'm just recording this into my phone. Uh, today's podcast, I'm actually joined by Nini FC. He is a great YouTuber. He runs the channel Blue Lines TV and also his own channel called Nini FC. So let's just get right into the podcast. I was just wondering your opinion on Zappa Costa. Okay. Okay. Um, Zappa Costa. I feel that he's a, he's just a decent player. I know people are getting excited on Twitter because of his performance against um, uh, Israel, but he's just a decent player. He's. Uh, I think his crossing is really good, but defensively he's, he's average. You know, certain games he'll be fine. Certain other games he won't. But I do think because of the system we do play. I feel that if he has support with Aspie behind him, you're not going to notice his defensive weaknesses, you know. But I think, if anything, I like the fact he can play left wing back and right wing back. He's just a, a good squad player to have, really. Yeah, do you think he's an upgrade on Moses, would you say? Nah, definitely not. Uh, a lot of Chelsea fans don't really appreciate why Moses is so good, you know. It's weird. Yeah, he was, he was on the verge of uh, just leaving the club, basically. Yeah, yeah, I know. Obviously, I know Barcelona were looking at him too during the season as an option for right back. But I think with that, here's the thing with Zappacosta, of course, he's got a good crossing, but you've got to realise he's got Belotti up front. Now, this guy is amazing in the air. So it's like, if you give him any type of cross, he's so good in the air, he can make anything happen from nothing. Yeah, I'd say Murat is quite like that as well with his heading. Yeah, exactly. He is. He's very good in the air. That's one of his. I think he's better with his head than his feet. Hmm. Would, would you say he's more of like the board signing, or would you say he's like Conte's? I think maybe a possible combination. Now I know. Anytime you look at a position you want to fill, you always look at you know maybe five, ten players to go through. So uh, maybe Zappacosta definitely wasn't first choice, but he was definitely being looked at. I think that's why negotiations were so quick when we went to go for him. What what would you say uh, about the other signage? Would you say that mostly it's the board's influence or would you say that it's mainly Conte? It's, it's a combination because Conte has got some of the players he wanted. Morata was one. I know the board wanted to go for, um, for Lukaku. But again, Conte was happy with Lukaku as well because he wanted to bring Lukaku to Juventus. But of course, you know, Lukaku and Morata were players Conte wanted. Um, I think the uh, I think the drink water one is a Conte signing as well. Um, I think the uh, I mean if if we had signed Oxlade Chamberlain, I was told that that was a Conte signing, but of course it fell through because Oxlade wanted to play in midfield and not as a wing back. But um, but the thing is, we, we make out that um, you know Emanalo and Conte they work fine together. The the issue is uh, Marina because again, she's the only one that's allowed to actually really, you know, di- dictate the negotiations. You know, decides how mon- how much wages we're going to give a player and you know pay the transfer fee. That's not up to Conte or Emanalo. So any time a deal falls through, 
people should really put more of the blame on her. For example, why did we leave it so late to sign Drinkwater? I mean, they wanted 35 million. Why did it take us to the final day of the window to finally pay them 35 million? That's not Emanalo or Conte. That's Marina. Like, for example, Alex, uh, Alexandro. If we had paid the money Juventus wanted before they sold Benucci, we would have signed him. Lukaku as well. The reason why he never came to Chelsea is because negotiations were dragging on and dragging on. And, you know, we don't speak just didn't pay the money up front. So, you know, it's nothing to do with uh, friction between Emanalo and Conte. They work fine together. They work on the positions that Conte wants and they go through the players. And then sometimes Emanalo might think this, this suggestion's good and Conte will be fine with that. Sometimes Conte will fight for this player and he gets it. So, you know, it, it works fine, I think. Would you say, would you have rather kept Chiloba and Loftus-Cheek or would you have, um, and signed Drinkwater or would you, and not signed Drinkwater, sorry, or would you have rather um, not signed Drinkwater and kept, and kept the two like youth CMs? Honestly, I would have kept both of Chiloba and Ruben Loftus. I feel that, again, I like Drinkwater. I think he's a very underrated player, but when I look at a signing like him, I feel that, that obstructs that obstructs the path for one of these youth guys to play. I think Chiloba, all he needs is a season to really show what he can do. And I think he's going to do that this year. I think Ruben Loftus, again, he's been played around for how many years? He's been trying to go on loan. The club have been denying him that. He's finally shown what he can do at Crystal Palace, playing in midfield, his natural position. And it's no surprise he's been their best player so far this season. And it's like, you know, Sometimes we make out that uh, you know the managers always know what's best, and there's a, there's a history from so many different managers that that's not the case at all. Because if you can if you can tell me you think Ruben Loftus Cheek makes more sense playing up front or as a winger than in midfield, then you clearly aren't looking at him carefully. And it's like Ruben Loftus, I feel he could have potentially been that Bakayoko type of figure for the club. I think this guy, he can tackle. We make out he can't. Driving runs, plus he can play the final pass. He has all the ingredients to become a world-class midfield player. The only issue with Chelsea is that we just don't afford any proper game time to these guys, which isn't fair in my opinion. And if anything, you know what? If you can't afford game time, buy back fees. Sell them, bring them back in two years. Do what Real Madrid do. Do what Barcelona do. But you know what? I am saying I sound kind of contradictive because at the same time, personally, I would have kept them. But then thinking about it realistically, they wouldn't really they wouldn't really play much anyway, you know. So it's probably best for their careers personally. Like they're going to clubs where they can play week in and week out. Yeah, you wouldn't want to really play them over someone like say Bakayoko or Kante in, or or Fabregas in midfield. Of course, I mean I, the thing is, I feel that if you did give these guys an opportunity to really show what they can do for a whole season, I think they could put in those performances that you're looking at when you see Bakayoko and players like that. Because the weird thing is with our signings, we made some good signings, but if you're telling me is Bakayoko better than Matic, he's not. Does he have the potential to become better than Matic? Yeah, he does. Uh, same thing with Morata. He's a good player, but as a striker, is he world class? I wouldn't say so just yet. Because he misses quite a lot of easy opportunities. You know, is he the type of guy that can score you the goal winning game? Who knows just yet. And uh, you know, and a few of the other signings here as well. Drinkwater's a good player, but is he really upgrading the team? He's not. 
same thing with Rudiger. Is this guy really better than Zuma? Personally, I don't think he is. But I don't know. I mean, it, was, it was a bit of a weird window, to be fair. I'd probably say Matic and Bakayoko have a different kind of job. I mean, they're both defensive midfielders, but Matic is more of a tackle the player than do a Fabregas-esque job with distributing the ball. Yeah. And um, Bakayoko is more of a putting in like a driving run and yeah. get us into space and break through the gaps. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely agree with that. But at the same time, I know driving runs has become like the popular phrase like so far, especially this summer. But when I look at it, I feel that, you know, what's the end products from the run? Now, I did watch a lot of games in Monaco last year. And of course, it looks aesthetically pleasing when you see a player, you know, covering distance with a nice run. But it's like, what was he really doing with the ball? And a lot of times he was playing a pass out wide to a wing back or he was overrunning with the ball and getting tackled or just playing a short pass in front, you know? Would you say um, we'd do better with Pedro as a wing back for uh, Bakayoko to pass to, like playing Pedro as a right wing back? Um, I I don't know. I, I really never felt that Pedro was a thing as a wing back. I felt that was really weird. Yeah, of course it worked during the cup games against these, uh, you know, League Two teams because, of course, you know, you can afford to really go at them. But I don't know, Pedro, you know, his weakness is his build-up play. You know, he gives the ball away a lot. And this is why I prefer Pedro last season because he was far away from our own half. And it's like when Pedro's involved in the build-up, he's just not as good and he's susceptible to losing the ball or getting brushed off. So, um, I, honestly, I think Moses, to me, he might sound crazy, but I honestly feel he's the best right wing back in the league. I think he's better than than Carl Walker. I think, you know, the same thing with Carl Walker again. You know, too often we're, we're drawn into uh, the dynamism without actually looking at the end products and the quality. And it's like, if you compare the cross uh, the crossing success rate for Moses and Walker, it's identical at, at 13% last season. And it's like, because you know I'm a geek, I always look into detail. I was looking at Walker and I realised that this guy had 500 more touches of the ball compared to Moses. So he's taking longer to get the ball into the box. Yeah, exactly. And that's because Spurs, their build-up play is, is, you know, Walker isn't like Moses. You know, Walker needs Ericsson pushed out wide so he can get forward. Walker is the guy. Giving him the ball to be able to cross it in from, like, a central attacker midfielder role. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Walker's that guy where... He doesn't have the dribbling ability to get past someone one on one and and keep possession by himself. When you look at Victor Moses, what real support does he get? He, th- this is the genius about him because he's so good. He allows Pedro to just focus on playing central and making runs in behind. Moses can single handedly dominate the right by himself. You know, he told when do you see him lose the ball? When do you see him get tackled when he's running at people? I know people complain about his crossing. I can understand sometimes they can be shoddy, but at the same time, we're not a team necessarily focused on putting crosses in the box. And, you know, we've got Morata now, who's the best in the air that we've had probably since, you know, since Drogba, in my opinion. So that's going to be a bonus for this year. But I feel that tactically, you know, Moses provides a lot of worth to this team that a lot of people don't realise. 
Yeah, would you? I think he really um, he gives the inspiration to some of them in the youth academy, saying, "Look, if you put in the work, if you put in the graft, you can get to this position." Because he's gone through so much to get to the position that he's in right now. If a player just puts in the hard work, then they're able to uh, get into the team. But it's, it's not the reality at all. I think Moses, you know, a lot of times it's luck in football coming there at the right time at the right moment. And of course, Conte didn't decide he was going to use a wing-back system. And of course, Moses filled the role as a wing-back. Because if you think about it, what is a wing-back? A wing-back's not really a full-back. It's like and a what... combination between a full-back and a midfielder, really. Exactly. Exactly. And if anything, I like wingbacks to be wingers who are, are you know, I, I think it's, it's better for wingers. Guys who are, you know, they prefer collecting the ball from deeper and, you know, seeing the whole play in front of them, you know, because when you play as like a modern day, like, you know, winger or wides player, you play with your back to the goal a lot of times. And it's like, it's a much different game. But for certain guys where, you know, it's much more beneficial to your game to see everything in front of you. You know, I think that wing-back position really helps those types of players. And I really feel that Moses, this is why he naturally translated to playing as a right wing-back last season. What would you say um, What would you say your opinions are on Charlie Masonda? I think this kid's... Honestly, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there were a few years ago he was linked with moves to Arsenal and Monaco. And at the time, I was hoping that he'd take the move because I felt that really... If he had an opportunity, to, let's say, you know, he went to Arsenal. Look, look, think about it. They gave um, Awobi the opportunity to get into the first team and he's been there. If Masunda was there, I'm sure he'd be in the Arsenal first team. Same thing at Monaco as well. I feel that if Masunda was there, he'd be in the first team. And, and this guy would be seen on the same likes of uh, Usman Dembele and players of that calibre. Another guy we have is Jerry Mo Jeremy Boga, but I, I won't get into that now. But I think Masunda has the potential to become a world-class player. And the only thing I'm worried about is the manager. I'm not going to give fair opportunities. Like, for example, the game against Everton. We won the game in the 60th minute. They were creating nothing. Tactically, we beat them. And performance-wise, we outplayed them as well. I mean, it was, it was one of the most easiest 2-0 wins you'll see. Now, you're telling me, with the hard work Masunda's been putting in in training... He didn't deserve at least 50 minutes to show what he can do. And that's what it comes down to. Because the manager could have afforded to give him 15 minutes against Everton. We're not going to become a weaker team. And there's it's this, it's this mentality where people feel that any time a guy is under 21, you become automatically weaker. But no, there's a difference between a Chelsea under under 21 player and a Sunderland under 21 player. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just look at Marcus Rashford. Of course. Of course. And, oh, that press conference by Conte, when he compared Rashford's... Now, this this to me showed me that he doesn't know anything about youth development. And and let's let's be really realistic now. Think about it. He um, Before he joined Chelsea, he was training... You know, he was with Italy for the Euros. Now, it's not, it's not as if he knows every single youth player at Chelsea and knows every player in the academy beforehand. Of course not. Most managers never do because their jobs just focus on the first team and they'll focus on their job stability and, you know, fulfilling the owner's wishes. That's how it works. Now, I feel that this is why our young players never really get a fair opportunity or fair chance or they're seen in a different light. And I'm, when he used that example of Marcus Rashford being 
a complete player. I just I just couldn't believe it because um you know with Rashford, I actually wrote an article like years back when he was making his debut. This guy, uh, you know, he, he only got he only started playing reserve team football, under twenty one football. That season he actually got into the first team. And even then he was never a first-team player for the under-21s. He was always getting the last 15 minutes and he'd play sporadically. Now, this is something that no one could ever imagine. Most times he was playing for the under-18s. Now, guys like Masunda, Bergen and Solanke and the rest, they were, they, they were already playing under-21 football at 16 years old. I mean, Chaloba, for example, at 14 years old, he was playing for the reserve team. It shows you the high level of talent we produce at this club. Now, Rashford... The only reason why he's in the first team is two things, luck. And second thing is because he fit the system. Now, in terms of luck, United had all their uh, first team strikers injured, plus Will Keane, who was banging in the goals recently before a nasty injury. And he was lucky because Van Gaal is the type of manager that will play a young guy up front instead of playing a first team player out of position. And the other reason why Rashford was lucky, the reason why he was getting goals is because... He was the only striker in the team who'd make runs in behind. And of course, when you've got attacking mids like Mata and the rest, you know, they need that outlet for their passes. Rooney's not going to make runs in behind and stretch play. You know, uh, who, who else do they have up front? They have no one else up front. No one, no one else is fulfilling that. And it's like in football, you know, it's all about complementing each other's strengths and weaknesses and playing as a team. You know, Rashford fit the team. He's getting world-class service from the guys in behind him. Of course, he's going to get goals. It's just natural. Do I think this guy's a top-class player? I don't think he is at all. I think his decision-making, you know, for some reason, he's he's uh, he's been allowed to have this kind of, like, uh, invincibility aura. It's like he can make a mistake. He can make a bad cross. He can run into a dead end. He can mess up the final ball. He can do all this stuff without ever being criticised or noticed. And I feel that, you know... This this is a thing that clouds a lot of people, including managers, it seems, if Conte's of the belief that Rashford is a more superior player than anyone else at Chelsea. And I feel that if you've got a manager who honestly believes that, then I think, if anything, it tells you that the boards are doing something wrong. I think he gets a kind of pass, really, since he's a homegrown player. I think the media really just hit on that. Hit. He's a, he's a player that's been brought up through the academy he's worked his way up there they just hit on that fact yeah yeah exactly and it's crazy too because of course everything fell into plan for him he scored in his debut but at the same time you know he was allowed to have two games where he could play 90 minutes now let's say the same thing happened at Chelsea if anything the guy would be lucky enough to have 10 minutes and what can he really show in a 10 minute spell you can't show anything and we only seem to afford these young guys 10 minutes at, at, at tops, you know? I'd say Christensen was a perfect example of a young player really getting a chance to show what he's worth and taking that chance and running with it and showing everything that he's got. Yeah, exactly. But that, that brings me on to another point because I look at the loan army and I'm actually going to be doing a video on this later on in the next few weeks. But I'm thinking morally, is it the right you know, is, is it like the right course of action? Because it's like, we're not really treating a lot of these lone guys as like actual human beings who have ambitions for their career. They're like 
you know, figures seen on a spreadsheet in a way. Yeah, I think the club are just looking at it from an economic standpoint, not really a moral standpoint. Exactly. And it's like, can you really do that with teenagers and 20-year-olds? And that, should that really be how football should be? Because it's like, we're not even doing what's best for their career. It's like, we're happy if like uh, one or two of them, uh, you know, do something. But if you've got so many players out on loan and so much talent, there should be a much higher success rate now. It's no surprise to me, the only successful players on loan, well, there were three. Lewis Baker was one, but I mean, he's at Middlesbrough now. But the, the main two were Courtois and Christensen. And it's no surprise that they did well. Why? Because those two went to the best clubs compared to any other player in the loan army. Courtois went to Atletico Madrid, where he's got a world-class defence in front of him. And Christensen went to one of the, the best up-and-coming teams in Germany. And there was so um, no surprise. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the young guys, I know Cadrado as well, but in terms of the young guys, it's no surprise why those two in particular did so well because they're playing with high-caliber players around them. Now, if you like Masunda, for example, this guy did really well at Betis with what he could do. Now, with Betis, to me, they're like the West Brom of Spain. Don't create many chances, no real good striking options. You know, so many things that that's going to hamper a young creative player like that. And it's kind of like, imagine if like Cristiano Ronaldo at 18 years old, is he going to do better, uh, you know, playing for Real Betis at 18 or with Manchester United players? You, you know, for the left wing back uh, situation, mm -hmm. we were linked with Alexandro throughout the transfer market. Yeah. What, would you say we need, we even need backup or if we need an upgrade even at left wing back? I, I don't know. I don't know. At the time, I really was an advocate for Alexandro purely because my thinking is if you've got Alexandro, that's going to really free up our best player, which is Eden Hazard, because that's going to stop Hazard from having to drop deep to help Alonso get forwards. You know what I mean? Because Sandro is so good, he can dominate a flank by himself, similarly to what Moses can do on the right-hand side. Yes, yeah, like and you said on Twitter, he's like the Ronaldo of defensive players. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's like, if you have an Alexandra as your left wing back, that means Hazard's playing closer to goal. And Hazard playing closer to goal is taking more shots. That means he's he's forcing more defences back and he's freeing up more space for the wing backs. And, you know, and more, Hazard getting more goals is going to get us more points. What's your opinions on the um, Costa situation? Because we've just been linked with um, Atletico Madrid for a potential swap offer with money for um, Antoine Griezmann? Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, that seems weird. I mean, Griezmann, he, he could work in this system because we don't, they're not really wingers, they're like uh, inside forwards. So I think Griezmann could easily work. But I don't see that, that happening and I feel that, um, I don't know, the cost of situation, um, I, I like to see things like in a level-headed manner and I think at the time, I could understand why Conte reacted how he did and why Costa did. Now, how I see it is, of course, you know, it's after the 15-16 season, it was a disastrous season. It's natural for players to start reconsidering their future. I mean, there's been a history of players doing that. Hazard flirting with Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, Courtois flirting with Real Madrid, even Drogba back in the day, Lampard when he was flirting with Inter Milan and Barcelona. It's, it's one of those things that fans don't like to admit, but it's just a natural parcel of the game. I mean, even now, there's reports of Messi reconsidering his future because Neymar's just left. 
So this thing, just you know, things like this change in a season. It's only a short career. So um, if I'm in Costa's shoes, I'm thinking, you know what? It was a disaster this season. Am I really enjoying my time here? I'm kind of missing Atletico Madrid. Things are better there. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to go back. Maybe it's the right time to leave now. So he goes and speaks to Conte. He says, Conte, boss, I want to let you know in advance now that, um, you know, I want to go, I want to force a move to Atletico Madrid. So I thought I'd give you the heads up. Of course, at the time, Conte wasn't happy because he was in his plans, but no surprise there were being linked with the likes of Lukaku and that. But, um, but yeah, it seems like, well, I don't know if there's more to the story, but it seems like during January, it's been Costa maybe had a change of heart and decided, actually, I do want to stay at Chelsea. And he wanted to renegotiate a new contract with the boards. Now, if what he's saying in interviews is right, he's of the belief that Conte actually persuaded the board not to renew his contracts because he actually didn't want to keep him. And I think that's just where the argument came from, where Conte was saying, you know, go to China. And this is where some of these links were coming from. But, you know, Costa said before that, the only two clubs you could ever play for are Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. And I think that, you know, of course, after that January bust-up, it seems like things had cooled down. I mean, I'm only judging by how they used to celebrate afterwards, you know. And then it seems like all of a sudden, of course, if, if what Costa was saying is right, he was with the Spanish squad, he gets a text in the evening when he's with his teammates by Conte saying, uh, you know, obviously, thank you for last year, but you're not in my plans for next season. So if I'm Costa, you might be thinking, eh, well, well, I thought we got over our differences. You know, I fought for you near the end, blah, blah, blah. I've showed that I want to stay now. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're telling me now that I need to go. Yeah, I know you mentioned I'm going to go in January, but this is like, what, six months ago and you haven't said anything once. So I don't know. I, I can understand if I'm Costa why I'd be disappointed because it is quite shady and it's like, uh, you know, at least at least be really, really transparent from the start so I don't have to have any, like, doubts, you know? Yeah. But the same, from a tactical perspective, I can see why Conte really see Costa as his ideal striker because for the 3-4-3 three, three to really work, you need someone who's better at linking up the play than Costa. So I can understand that. Do I think you went about it in the right manner? If that was me, I wouldn't be happy if I was told that I had to leave just like that. But um, it seems like things will get worked out. It seems like go back to Atletico. Uh, we will get close to the money we want. And Costa is willing, I think, because, you know, he's a very popular figure in the training room. It seems like the players have persuaded him to come back. And he's willing to accept whatever fines the club will give him. He'll get reprimanded by Abramovich. And then, you know, he'll get his move in January. Yeah, Um what would you say for the strikers? Because we were linked to um, Lorente and Jamie Vardy throughout the transfer market. So I was wondering why, what are your opinions on why do we even need another striker with Michu Batshuayi on the bench and Murata that we've now bought for our main uh, striker? Yeah, I, I think the whole reason why Lorente left or no, sorry. The reason why Lorente didn't come to Chelsea was because, um, you know, Mitchie was at the club. Now, you know, from what I've been told, it seems, you know, it looked like Mitchie potentially could have left on loan. That idea was being flirted around. I think Lorente realised near the end, actually, the guy hasn't left on loan. I'm 32 years old. You know, how much game time will I really get? I know that Conte isn't the type of manager to really, you know, 
when you know if you've got three managers and you only use sorry if you've got three strikers and you only use only use one in a particular game maybe two in certain situations there's a risk on my part on how much game time I'll get and he probably looked at Tottenham and he thought yeah I'll be in London the place I wanted to move to plus I've got no competition with Harry Kane I'll be his understudy and I'll I'll be guaranteed to get a lot of game time playing for a very good club. So I think he assessed the situation and realised I'm going to pick Tottenham over Chelsea. What would you? What would your opinions be on the formation that we probably should play next? Uh, well, this season now. Honestly, I think three-four-three three is still the best system for the club. Uh, I think there has been a slight upgrade, but I can't really call it just yet because obviously. Um, it all falls down to Gary Cahill. Now, you know, of course, Cahill plays as a wider defender on the left. But because of that, in a way, he has to play as a full fullback quite a lot of times because he has to be able to push out wides and help defend with Alonso. Mm. I but wouldn't he's say not... he's actually got the enough pace to do that, personally. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking of pace, but I don't, you know, think about it. You're only moving like another 20 yards to the left. You don't need too much pace. It's more his one-on-one defending. You know, his positioning's poor. His timing of the tackle's poor. He's a, he's a guy, you know, he's a typical English defender, better in the air than on the floor. And I think that because Cahill was not comfortable pushing out wides, that's how you see Aspie do it with Moses. He used to create gaps on the left-hand side. And Conte tried to plug that up by telling Matic to be even more disciplined and stay deeper on the left to help close that gap up. And I think that's when, you know, unfortunately Matic got that reputation of not being as good because he was playing within himself because, you know, he had to fulfil the manager's role. And I feel that if it, if Kale is, you know, synchronise out the team and let's say Rudiger or or Christensen or someone else covers, that could potentially, you know, that would that will stop that gap on the left-hand side. And, and that gap's been the one, uh, you know, positive for opposition teams because they can really use that to their advantage to try and get some type of you know, like levity over us. And I think that this season, if KO is out the team, we finally upgraded because that, you know, of course, the gap's closed up. But I think already we're seeing that improvement in Marcus Alonso, this performance, because Alonso is getting better protection now from the back. And I think that 3-4-3 is still the go-to system. I know, you know, a lot of people were talking about 3-5-2, but... You know, three four three is the most adjusted system for the team, and I think that's just going to continue. Really, what what are your opinions really on the Champions League? Do you think we could use the three four three? And well, I've heard some Tottenham fans saying that they think that they can actually get out their group with Real Madrid and Dortmund in it. <laughs> uh, potentially, uh, honestly, I don't think Tottenham will. I mean, maybe they could because Serge Aurier is a better, uh, you know, right wing back compared to Carl Walker. Just, you know, he's just a better player in terms of dribbling, one-on-one defending, tenacity, you know, everything. He's more complete. On the left-hand side, Danny Rose. I mean, I think the weakness of Spurs in Europe is that their flanks get destroyed all the time because, of course, you know, Ericsson and Ali aren't going to drop deep and help support the wing-backs. You know what I mean? And, and he likes to keep his back three really tight in the middle. So... Anytime a team attacks the flanks against Spurs, they get an advantage because they take the wing-backs out of the game and they isolate their midfielders. And that's why they don't do anything in Europe, especially last year. I mean, I saw Monaco really destroy them like in two games. Uh, I think with their wide players now, I think 
you know, potentially it could be they could be more solid. So they've got a possible chance of getting out the group stage still. When I say possible, I think, you know, let's say last season I'd give them like a 20% chance. This year I'll give them like a 40% chance. Well, th- that's all I've really got to say. Uh, is there anything you just want to add on? Uh, no, that's it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, obviously the Champions League. It's been a while and uh, yeah, I hope we do well and go far in the, in the tournament. Right, um, thanks for coming on. Um, I'll link your channel in the podcast notes. Be sure to check uh, Nini FC out and Blue Lions TV, both the channels, and subscribe. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And th- again, thanks for coming on, Nini. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, share on Twitter, and see you in the next podcast. Yeah, see you guys later.